0: You are listening to Undetermined Deaths, Disappearances, and Mysteries. I'm your host, Dr. N. I took a bit of an unexpected break. Sometimes life throws a wrench in our plans and we have to take that in stride. But I'm back now with a brand new computer to bring you brand new episodes. This week I want to talk about the Circleville Letter Mystery. This is a really weird but interesting mystery with a lot of twists and turns and potential conspiracies, it remains unsolved to this day. So let's dive into this hot mess of a case. It all started in 1976 in Circleville, Ohio, which is about half an hour south of Columbus. A local school bus driver, Mary Gillespie, began receiving threatening letters postmarked from Columbus, Ohio with no return address. Circleville is a small town with a population that was under 12,000 people in 1976. Not as small as the town my mom grew up in, northwest of Columbus, with a population under 300 at that time, but small compared to larger cities like Columbus that had a population around 550,000 people at the time. The thing about small towns is everybody knows everyone, which makes this whole story so much more baffling, though the connections people seem to have in small towns may actually feed into this mystery more than might present itself on the surface. What was the nature of the letters Mary was receiving, you ask? The letters accused her of having an affair with the school district superintendent, Gordon Massey. The letters were threatening, saying the writer had been watching Mary, knew that she had children, and demanding that she end the affair, or else. Here's what one of the letters said, quote, Stay away from Massey, don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live, I've been observing your house, and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon, end quote. They were written in capital block letters and are a bit eerie to look at. What would you do in this situation? Someone sends you a creepy letter, multiple letters, threatens your family, and accuses you of having an affair, but the affair, according to you, doesn't exist. Would you tell the police? Would you tell your husband? Your best friend or anyone? Well, Mary kept the letters a secret from her husband. The only reason he ever found out was because the letter writer started sending her husband, Ron, letters informing him of his wife's alleged affair. The letter writer wanted Ron to inform the school board or be killed. When Ron asked his wife about the affair, of course she denied it, and he believed her. They didn't know what to do or who to confide in. It was a small town, after all, and rumors spread like wildfire. Best to keep it under wraps. They ended up telling Ron's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul, along with Paul's sister, after the letter writer sent letters threatening to go public with the affair. Mary had a hunch about who the letter writer might be. One of her co-workers had asked her out but became angry when she refused his advances. This co-worker was David Longberry. After confiding in Ron's sister and her husband Paul, Paul decided to write a letter to David to confront him and ask him to stop after this the letters stopped arriving for a few weeks they were replaced with sexually explicit signs posted around the town about mary and ron's daughter in 1977 ron answered a phone call one day and became immediately angered he took his gun and left in his truck presumably to go confront the letter writer unfortunately ron didn't survive the drive He was found dead in his truck, crashed into a tree. Something interesting is that his gun had been recently shot, but no shell casings or bullets were ever found. The blood test confirmed Ron's blood alcohol content was twice the legal limit at .16. But this confused his family. He didn't appear intoxicated when he left the house and they all claimed he wasn't really a big drinker. But because of this test, the sheriff, Sheriff Radcliffe, concluded that Ron's death was an accident and the result of drunk driving. No one ever examined the car or probed any further into Ron's death. After his death, more residents of Circleville began receiving letters accusing the sheriff of covering up the real cause of Ron's death. The letters claimed Sheriff Radcliffe mishandled another investigation as well that was looking into the county coroner, who was at the time accused of child sexual abuse. You want to know what the real irony is? Gordon Massey, the school superintendent, had recently divorced from his wife, and Mary was now a widow after Ron's death. Well, you guessed it. Mary and Gordon became romantically involved, all the while claiming that they had never been together before Ron's death. So here's my initial reaction. If the affair wasn't real, why keep the letters a secret from Ron? I understand she was scared and thought maybe something bad would happen if she told the police, but why wouldn't you tell your husband unless you're afraid he wouldn't believe you? It's a bit suspicious, but let's give Mary the benefit of the doubt. Why wouldn't the letter writer just tell the school board themselves? They claim to be essentially stalking Mary, so they must have some proof, right? Why would they trust someone over the letter writer? Are they an untrustworthy person? not well respected? Or do they just like psychologically torturing people? Maybe they derive enjoyment from seeing people suffer and worry about getting in trouble or getting hurt. Those are all things we may never really find out though. Now the story doesn't end here. That would be a really short episode. (laughs) So don't worry, there are more twists and turns to come. Fast forward to 1983 and Mary begins getting more threatening letters and seeing more signs start popping up along her school bus route related to her daughter. One morning, she decides to stop and take down one of these signs affixed to a fence post along her route. But little does she know, it's attached to a box with a small pistol hiding behind it. It's an obvious booby trap, but a poor one at that. There was a string attached to the sign that was tied around the trigger of the gun, but it didn't engage when Mary ripped the sign off the post. The police discovered someone did a really poor job of rubbing off the serial number as well, so they were able to trace the gun back to Mary's brother-in-law, Paul, who had recently divorced from Ron's sister, Karen. This is where things get kind of messy. Remember they had known about the letters in the beginning Paul won full custody of their children and Karen was living on Mary's property at the time Paul admitted to police that the gun was his But that he kept it hidden in his garage Never used it and hadn't checked to see that it was there in years He denied having anything to do with the booby trap The police also had Paul perform a handwriting test, instructing him to copy the writing from the letters as close as he could. They then used that quote-unquote evidence along with the gun to charge him with attempted murder. Paul was found guilty at trial and sentenced to 7 to 25 years in prison. But this isn't even where the story ends. There's a lot of evidence pointing to Paul's innocence. The sheriff claimed Paul confessed to writing the letters, though Paul denies this, and there's no recording of a confession. The sheriff has not done himself any favors. He's making himself look more guilty, especially after the accusations by the letter writer that he botched several investigations including the one in Tehran's death. Paul's fingerprints were never found on any of the letters, the gun, or the booby trap. The search of his house didn't turn up any other evidence that could link him to the letters gun or booby trap as well. Mary testified that Karen had claimed she believed Paul to be the writer of the letters though she never mentioned it during the divorce in an attempt to gain custody of her children. Paul has a pretty compelling alibi as well. He wasn't working, but there's a witness that places him at his home between 12.30 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. the day Mary found the buoy trap. The prosecution produced a witness who claimed to have seen the sign along Mary's route between 11.30 and noon that day, but never notified police and no other witnesses reported seeing the sign before Mary found it at 3.30 p.m. Years after the trial, there was evidence discovered that had been withheld. 20 minutes before Mary found the trap, another school bus driver who drove the same route reported seeing a yellow El Camino parked at that exact spot and a light-haired man who did not match Paul's description. He, however, did match the description of a man Karen had been dating at the time. Paul didn't own a yellow El Camino, but you know who did? Karen's brother. Shoe prints were also documented at the scene, and they did not match Paul either. Once Paul was incarcerated, more threatening letters signed by the Circleville writer were mailed to people across central Ohio. They were postmarked from Columbus, as they had been before, but the sheriff remained convinced Paul was somehow orchestrating it from prison. Paul was then placed in solitary confinement, denied access to writing materials, and had constant supervision. Even so, the letters kept coming. It couldn't have been him. And even though the warden admitted it was impossible for Paul to be sending these letters, he was denied parole regardless in 1990. A few days after this, Paul was sent a letter mocking him for not being let out of prison. He was eventually paroled in 1994. Strangely, that's when the letters appeared to stop. Paul tried to clear his name, even attempting to involve the FBI to investigate Ron's death, but nothing came from it, and he passed away in 2012. Mary, including Paul, believed Paul was framed by his ex-wife Karen in response to the divorce. She was the only person who knew where Paul's gun was hidden. And with him in prison, She regained custody of her children and the house. They think Karen capitalized on the existence of the mysterious letter writer to orchestrate the whole setup. This story has so many different possible explanations. The original suspect, David Longberry, remains a clear contender for the original letters. He went on the run in 1999 after raping an 11-year-old girl. He was found years later having died by suicide. But what about the letters that came after? And the booby trap? Were they all the work of the same person? Or did Karen really take advantage of the situation to frame her ex-husband just to gain custody of her children back? Could Paul have possibly orchestrated Such a long con of continued letters even after being incarcerated and put into solitary confinement? There are certainly a lot more questions than answers in this case and many opportunities for wild conspiracy theories and speculation, including the one where the sheriff is involved. Maybe the letter writer got to the sheriff. Maybe. He was threatened with a piece of incriminating evidence against him if he didn't make Ron's death look accidental. He had initially claimed that he was suspicious of the crash and believed that there was evidence of foul play, but later denied making those statements at all. But then again, those statements were made to Paul, a man the sheriff later helped put in prison. There's further evidence that the sheriff may have had a personal investment in this case since he had claimed Paul confessed to being the letter writer himself. An extra fun fact about this case is that Unsolved Mysteries, the OG show back in the 80s and 90s, decided to feature the case in an episode in the 1990s. And while the writers were working on the story, the office received a letter Signed by the Circleville writer, reading, quote, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay, end quote. They continued covering the story and nothing bad ever happened as a response. But then again, no more information was ever produced from that episode airing. This was the last known credible threat from someone claiming to be the Circleville writer, though there were rumors that sporadic letters were received up until 2003. There's a pretty plausible theory that the letter writer could have been a member of the police department or someone close to the sheriff in some way, given that the letters seemed to try to protect him at times. The support and attack on Sheriff Radcliffe flips and flops as much as the threats against any other target of the letters, seeming to point back to a sadistic enjoyment the writer had in toying with people's sense of safety and control. This case continues to baffle everyone who looks into it, and we will probably never reveal what actually happened to Ron, whether Paul was set up by the writer or his ex-wife, or may have been involved somehow, and who the Circleville writer really was. Until then, this case remains undetermined. Thank you for listening to Episode 6. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please let me know your thoughts on the case through Instagram at undeterminedpod, and if you have an undetermined story of your own, I'd love to share it on the podcast. Email me at undeterminedpod at gmail.com, also linked in the episode notes. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe, download episodes, and leave a review. And as always, stay curious. All episode content was researched, written, and produced by me, Dr. N. Sources for all episodes can be found at the link in the episode notes. All music you hear on this podcast was written and produced by me, Dr. N.